Well, guys, I, wanna, I want you to know it is an honor to be here. My name is Matt. I'm going to take just a second to uh, address, everybody knows about Hurricane Harvey and the way it's affected the Gulf Coast and Houston. I just want to take a second to say thank you to this church. I've been blown away at uh, the response of you guys to that catastrophe. We have multiple teams on the ground right now. We filled up just with the downtown campus alone. We filled up multiple trailers and trucks full of water that are going to be heading out tomorrow. Um, I just found out that we have a team of, I didn't even know this was going on. We have a team of people that are on the ground. It's called the Austin Stone Tent. They're in Houston and they're feeding a thousand people a day. Volunteers and people need food. And so there's just all, I'm hearing all these cool stories. They just, yeah, you can clap for that. It's so cool. And, um, I love to see the body of Christ and the way that it's responding to this and, and uh, just be praying that for those people, there's so many folks that have literally lost everything. It's what I'm hearing kind of from folks that are on the ground there. It's a lot worse than even the media is even able to portray it. It's really bad. And so if you want to volunteer, if you want to um, give, you can go to our website. Um, you can hear and see about ways to volunteer. We'll talk about that in our announcement time. We have a little place where you can give. Um, it's through the For the City, our For the City Center. I'll give you my word. Every dime of that's going directly to Houston. And so there's ways you can get involved. Check that out. Um, but I, today we're continuing our series that we're calling Convictions. And what we're doing as a church over the next few weeks, we normally kind of go verse by verse through the Bible, which I'll talk a little bit about today. But um, we're taking a few weeks and we're going through more of a topical series. And we're talking about the biblical foundations that our church was built on. All right? If you've attended the Austin Stone for a while, you may have never thought about this. But there are some very specific biblical reasons why we do what we do as a church whether it's worship or whether it's you know, small group ministry or missions or, or finances or preaching, you can trace every one of those things that we do back to this biblical foundation, this conviction that is, has guided us and led us to do things the way that we do as a church. And so we're doing this series for this reason. Because we felt like as a leadership of the Austin Stone, we felt like we were at a time in the, in the life of our church where it's critical that we recast the vision for who we are and why we do what we do as a church, as you're deciding whether to make this place your church home. Now, over the last two weeks, we've talked about two biblical convictions. We missed last week because of the rain, but the two weeks before that, we, uh, we talked about our first biblical conviction that we're called as a body of believers to live in covenant community. We don't think that the Austin Stone is just a Bible study that you come and attend and kind of get your church fixed on a Sunday and then live your life. But we see from the scripture that we are called to live out our Christian faith, never alone, but together with one another in the context of um, a body together. And that's what we talked about in the first week of the series. And last week we talked about another kind of core conviction of our church that we're, we're ruled by God's word. And what that means is we don't live our lives and we don't make our decisions based on what the culture says. That we don't live our lives and make our decisions based on what we feel is right. But that we live our lives and we make our decisions as individuals and as a church based on the word of God. All right, and that brings us kind of to our third conviction today. And this is a critical one. It, it may be the primary motivation for all that we do as a church and it's this, is that we're Christ-centered in focus. We're Christ-centered centered in focus, right? Um, you, you 
may not know this, but as a church, we have a um, identity statement. Back in, we, when we started this church 15 years ago, it was kind of a cool thing to do to, to have a mission statement. And so we did that. We sat around with the leadership and the people of the church, like, what are we about? In, in a statement, how can we articulate who we are and what we do as a church? And this is what we came up with years ago. And it's just as true today about us as it was then. And so I want to read this to you, and we're going to go through it. It's a pretty short sermon today. But I want to read you uh, this kind of vision statement or mission statement or identity statement today. And I, I think we have it on the screen here. It says that we're a New Testament church. We're a New Testament church existing for the supremacy of the name and the purpose of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's what we're about. That's what we do. We're a New Testament church existing for the supremacy of the name and the purpose of Jesus Christ. All the way back 15 years ago when we started this thing, that was kind of the foundational sentence that defined us as a church. Now let's look at the first part of that statement and I wanna tell you what it means. The first part of that statement is that we are a New Testament church. What, what does that mean? When we first came out, the, the first question everybody asked is, does, does that mean that you guys don't like the Old Testament? Well, that's not at all what it means. What it means is this, is that we as a church, have designed this thing and built this thing foundationally on the biblical principles of the New Testament church. And so 15 years ago, when the Austin Sun was started, it was a huge church planning movement in the United States. Everybody decided, hey, we're gonna start a church. Young guys like me are like, we're not gonna go jump into some existing church and get killed by the deacons. We're gonna, we're gonna go start our own thing because we were dumb and arrogant. Um, but if you go back to a lot of those churches, that were started about the same time of the stone. And you trace them back to kind of the foundational principles for what a lot of those churches were built on, you'll find a lot of different things. A lot of churches back in the day when this church was started, you, you realize that they were built on a business model. That the, the founding pastors and leaders, like they looked at the culture and they looked at uh, some of the, the, the popular business models of the time and they're like, okay, we're gonna build this church based on these business models. And if you go and look at some of the churches that were planted during that time, you, you realize that kind of when you trace it back to the foundations of the church, you'll find that the church was built on maybe this charismatic leader. They find somebody that was a great public speaker and had a lot of charisma, and, and the church was kind of foundationally built on this guy's you know, giftings or charisma. A lot of churches at the time, and this was huge, that the church was built on this idea of, of kind of a, a, a trendy cultural fad and how to reach and impact that cultural situation. Whether it's whether, you know, a group of people that wanted to reach a group of artists or, or there was a, a group of people that wanted to reach postmoderns, which was the trendy thing to call that generation back in the early 2000s. The idea was that we're gonna look to the culture and then we're gonna model our church on the best way we think to reach that particular culture. Now, I want, to hear, I want you to hear me clearly. Look, there's, there's some validity and some good things about all those things that I just mentioned. But there was a problem when I was 27 years old and I thought about all these ways that people were building their churches, I ran into a pretty significant problem. And the first one was this, is that I stink at business. I stink at business. I, I, I couldn't start the Austin Stone on a business model because I would have run this thing into the ditch really, really fast. And here's another thing, is just I'm not that charismatic. I'm not that smart, and so I didn't want to build it on me because that would have been a train wreck, right? And the third thing is I'm kind of the least culturally savvy guy you've ever met. I'm, I'm a country guy from East Texas, and so the last thing I want to do is like find some trendy cultural fad and go, hey, I'm going to go reach those group of people because I would have failed miserably. 
And so the only thing I knew to do, and I'm not just trying to brag here, I'm just saying this is the only thing I knew to do. I was like, I'm gonna go to the Bible. And I'm gonna see what the Bible says about church. And so when I got the call (coughs) that I had been approved for church planning, one of the first things I did is I went into the sanctuary of the church that I was an associate pastor at at the time, and I just sat down in the pew. I remember this like it was yesterday, and I started to pray. And then I opened up my Bible to the book of Acts chapter two. And Acts chapter two is really kind of the first chapter in the Bible where the Bible really gets into the specifics of what this kind of brand new first century New Testament church looked like. Jesus has risen from the grave, he's alive, he's ascended back into heaven, the Holy Spirit has come, Peter preaches at Pentecost, the church kind of begins, and then Acts 2 describes this this picture of this first century group of people that started this church, and it says, hey, here's what they did. And so I made the decision right there in that sanctuary, look, if, if we're gonna start a church from scratch, we're not gonna build it and we're not gonna model it on anything other than what the New Testament says about church. And so if you trace kind of the origins of the Austin Stone back and you get down all the way to the bottom of it, you're not gonna find a business model, you're not gonna find a charismatic leader and you're not gonna find a cultural trend, you'll find the closest thing to a blueprint that the Bible gives for the church. So that's the mission statement. That's the beginning of the identity statement. It says we are a New Testament church and all in the world that that means is that we are a church that to the best of our ability has tried to build this thing and grow this thing on the foundational principles of the scripture. Now, look at the last part of our identity statement here. (laughs) It says we're a New Testament church. You now know what that means. It's existing, or we exist for a reason. It says we exist for the supremacy of the name and the purpose of Jesus Christ. And so we're a New Testament church. That's what this thing was built on. Now, what are we doing? What are we about? Is it just to come in here and sing some songs, listen to a sermon and go on with our lives? What is it that we're trying to do? We say it there, we exist. The reason we're here, the reason we meet, the reason we do this thing together is for the supremacy of the name and the purpose of this person named Jesus Christ. Now, um, what's interesting is we wrote that statement 15 years ago and, um, and it's got a funny little word in it. And the word is supremacy. And before Harvey came and tore stuff up, there, the word supremacy was in the news a whole lot for a couple of weeks. And, and the reason that that was in there is because there was this group of people that kind of came out and they're a group of white people and they said, hey, we are supreme, right? And so I just wanna address that real quick because I think it kind of gives us an idea of what this means that we exist for the supremacy of Jesus. I wanna define the word supremacy for you real quick. I looked it up in Webster's Dictionary and here's what it says. Supremacy, it's the state or condition of being superior to all others in authority, power, and status. It's a condition or state of being superior to all others in authority and power and status. And here's just what I wanna say about the issue that was going on in our country before Harvey came and tore stuff up. I want you to know where we kind of stand as a church. Here's the deal, you cannot call yourself a white supremacist, or any kind of supremacist for that matter, and at the same time call yourself a Christian. You can't do it. It's it's literally impossible to, to say, hey, I'm a white supremacist, and at the same time say I'm a Christian. And here's why, because they're diametrically opposed to one another. Here's why. They're diametrically opposed to one another. And I say it for this reason. 
Because white supremacy, by its very definition, is saying, look, white people are superior to all others in authority and power and status. And to say that, or to believe that, at its very core, is directly opposed to the core message of Christianity. And the core message of Christianity is this, that there is only one person who is supreme. There's only one person who is superior to all others in authority and power and status, and that is the person of Jesus Christ, who, by the way, happens to not be a white guy. I don't know if y'all noticed that, but the pictures on your Sunday school wall back in 82, where Jesus is blonde and blue eyes, is not what the dude looked like. He's a, a, a brown-skinned, Middle Eastern Jewish dude. He doesn't look like Steve, your neighbor from down the street, right? That's why we exist, for his supremacy. And if you want a picture of what supremacy looks like, I got, a, I got one from the Bible for you. Don't turn there. Just read along with me. In Revelation chapter five, verse 11, um, John, the disciple, has this kind of futuristic vision of, of heaven and he sees Jesus there on his throne. And, and he describes and writes down this futurist, futuristic vision of Jesus and it's a great picture of what supremacy is all about. And so let me just read this to you in Revelation chapter five, verse 11. John says, then I looked and heard around the throne and that's the throne of Jesus. And, and, and I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures, and, and I don't really know who the living creatures are. Revelation describes them, they're kind of weird looking, but they're there. And, uh, and, and the elders, these are um, the 24 elders. We don't know who they are really either, but anyway, you get the picture. And, and then, then the voice of many angels, numbering myriads, of myriads and thousands of thousands. And so John's seeing this picture. He's got Jesus on his throne. You've got the living creatures and then you've got the elders and then you've got these myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of angels around the throne. And then he goes on. He says, and with a loud voice. And so they start talking or singing or shouting. We don't know, but here's what they say. He said, worthy is the lamb. That's Jesus. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And so all the thousands and thousands and thousands and myriads of thousands of angels and all the elders and the living creatures, they're shouting out Jesus is the only one to receive you know, glory and honor and wealth and wisdom and power. And then he goes on in verse 13 and he says, and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. That's, that's John's way of saying, I saw everybody. Everyone. Everybody that's alive now on earth, everybody that's ever died, everybody's in the sea, everybody that's under the earth, every single person that's ever lived, this is what they were doing. And all that is in them, it says saying, this is what we're all saying, to him who sits on the throne and the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So the, the living creatures and the elders and the angels and everybody that's ever lived is standing before the throne of God and saying, you alone, Jesus, are supreme. You alone. And the four living creatures said, amen. I love that. It's like all of us go, hey, Jesus, you're the tops. And the living creature's like, they're right. And then elders fell down and worshiped him. That's a picture of supremacy. That's a picture of supremacy. That's, that's a picture of somebody that's supreme in authority and power and status and and so in light of the supremacy of Jesus, how then are we now to view one another? 
In light of the picture of Jesus' authority and power and status, how do we view one another? Well, Galatians chapter three, verse 26 tells us. It says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That means through Jesus, now we're all a family. And then verse 27, it says, for as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so we, we now have a new identity. We're not defined by all these other things. We're defined now by the person of Jesus Christ. There's this new identity in Jesus. And then look at the last verse in verse 28. He says, there is now neither Jew nor Greek. In light of the supremacy of Jesus, he says, there's now no racial superiority. He goes on, he says, there is neither slave nor free. And he says, now in light of Jesus, there is no longer any class superiority. And he goes on, he says, there is no male or female. He's saying now in light of Jesus, there's now no gender superiority or supremacy. He goes, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so what the scripture just said is there is one who's supreme and then there's the rest of us. There is one who is supreme and then there is the rest of us and we are all completely and fundamentally equal at the foot of his supremacy. All right, so in light of that, let's look one more time at the mission statement and what it means for our church. We're a New Testament church. We built this thing on the foundation of the New Testament and we exist for the supremacy of of the name and the purpose of Jesus Christ. So I guess you could say we're supremacists here at the Austin Stone. We're definitely not white supremacists because that's satanic. We're not political party supremacists, we could care less. We're not denominational supremacists. We're not Matt Carter, Aaron Ivey, Kevin Peck, Holland Suss supremacists because this thing's not built on a person and we're not Austin Stone supremacists. We exist for the supremacy of one. And that is the name and the purpose of Jesus Christ. And so here's what that means. <clears throat> kind of what that means in a nutshell is that from the very beginning, and I'll, I'll say this at the end, we haven't always done this perfectly, but from the very beginning, we have endeavored to allow every single thing that we do, we do it for the specific purpose of exalting and kind of lifting high Jesus above ourselves. And so if you, if you ever wondered why we preach the way that we preach at the Austin Stone, you know, we, we're in a topical series right now, but the vast majority of the time we, we preach verse by verse, and there are two main reasons we do that. Number one, the, one of the main reasons we do that is because the only way that I can guarantee that my preaching possesses the power of God is when I'm preaching the Holy Spirit-inspired word of God. It's the only time I can guarantee you that, my, that my, my preaching is gonna have the power of God with it. It's when I'm preaching his holy and spirit-inspired word. But in addition to that, one of the fundamental and foundational reasons, reasons we preach verse by verse of the Bible is this, is because the scripture ultimately every single time points to the person of Jesus. In uh, John chapter five, verse 39, this is Jesus speaking and he's talking to the Pharisees here and I want you to watch what he says. He's talking about kind of the purpose of the Bible to them and in John five thirty nine, he says this. He says, you search the scriptures, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. 
And so Jesus is talking to these Pharisees, and these are these guys that are the, the biblical experts. They're, they're the biblical scholars, and this is before the New Testament. This is the Old Testament. He's saying, hey, biblical scholar, expert guys, you're looking at the Bible, and you're doing it because you think in the scriptures it has eternal life, but I want you to know something, biblical expert scholar people. The reason that the Bible leads you to eternal life is because every single one of those scriptures is pointing to me. That's a bold statement to say to a bunch of Old Testament biblical scholars. Some dude just comes walking in and go, oh yeah, the Bible you've been reading your whole life, it's all talking about me. Either Jesus is nuts or it's true. The entirety of the scripture from Genesis excuse me, to Revelation, all of it, it's like this big fat neon sign that over and over again points to the person of Jesus and his redemptive story of coming to this earth in our flesh and dying on a cross, paying the penalty of our sins so that we can be reconciled back to God and be in relationship with him. And so guys, if I've got 30, 35 minutes to, to teach you something on a Sunday, if, I, if you're coming in here and you're gonna sit in a chair and you're gonna listen to me talk for 30 to 35 minutes, what is the best use of that time? Should I stand up here and should I do a topical series on like five steps to better time management? Is that the best use of your time? Should I come up here and do a sermon series on like six steps to, to better sex? Is that like the best use of your time? Both of those series, by the way, uh, I've heard before. Some of y'all are like, I'll come to that series, right? <laughs> or, is that the, or is the best use of your time for me to come into this place and open up God's word and teach it to you? so that you too would be pointed to the one who can give you life. We preach verse by verse through the Bible because we exist for the supremacy of the name and the purpose of Jesus. Have you ever wondered why we have multiple teachers and multiple preachers here at the Stone? Have you ever wondered why we do that? It's very intentional, we've done it from the very beginning. We do that so that your heart's attention, heart's affection, would not be pointed to a person, but we would be pointed to the person of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, <clears throat> Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, for it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. And so Paul's writing this letter, and he says, look, I, I, I've been talking to Chloe, and she's got some people, and the, her people have been telling me that y'all have been fighting. And what are they fighting about? It says in verse 12, it says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. I follow, Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, that's Peter, or I follow Christ. You see, it's the propensity, church, of the human soul to not follow the message, but to follow the messenger. It's just the nature of the human soul not to, to gravitate towards the message, but to gravitate towards the messenger. In the, in the early church, what was going on, you had all these different charismatic leaders and, and, and these factions began to form. People raising their hand like, I'm a Paul guy or I'm, a, I'm an Apollos guy or I'm a, I'm a guy that, that follows Peter. And Paul's saying, that's dumb. You need to follow Jesus. And so we decided from day one that we're gonna have multiple preachers and multiple worship leaders and, and we're never gonna advertise who's leading when and what day. And the reason that is, is we want you to come in these doors so that you would follow the message, not the messenger. So that the message of the supremacy of Jesus Christ would be placed above the name or the personality or the charisma of any leader. Have you ever wondered why we, um, we worship the way that we worship? 
there's a reason. It's very in, intentional. We, we, we never do cover tunes. I don't, I, I don't know if people are still doing that. They used to back when I started the church. You know, you'd come in the church and, and they would sing Sweet Home Alabama just to get you loosened up. And then we'd get into the worship stuff. We're like, we're not doing that. And Aaron's like, I'm not doing it. I'll quit. And so there's a lot of reasons that we, we <laughs> didn't do that because he's probably never heard Sweet Home Alabama in his life, I don't think. But um, have you ever noticed that we don't like play games, that we don't do skits, we don't do props? I think I've done props like twice in 15 years. We don't have cool stage designs. I mean, we, we debated for like 72 days about these lights over here, right? We're like, oh, no, it's too much. We're not gonna do it. And the only reason we got them is so that I can see on the way out because I'm old and getting blind and it, like, it's not to be cool. And have you ever wondered why we do that? It's, it's really intentional. It's because we want you to come in here and we, we want you to put your mind's attention and in, in your heart's affection, not on us or the stage or whatever, but on Jesus. We don't, I don't want you to walk out of here going, man, that was great worship. I don't want you to walk in here going, man, that was a great sermon. I don't want you to walk out of here going, these people are amazingly cool and creative. We want you to walk out of here saying, Jesus is amazing. Because if you come here and like the, the greatest thing you encounter is, is a cool sermon or if the greatest thing you encounter is, is great music or the coolest, awesome, most powerful thing you encounter is some charismatic leader or stage or whatever, you just wasted an hour and 15 minutes of your life. But if you come in here and you actually encounter Jesus and you encounter the presence of the living God, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. Last one. Have you ever wondered why we, um, we're constantly calling you guys to leave our church and go live your life on mission? If, if you're new here, we have over 200 people that have left the Austin Stone, they've left Austin, and they've gone to unreached people groups around the world to tell people about this person whose name is Supreme. And if you ever, like, the whole point of church is to get people to come in the doors and stay, Right? Why in the world are we always saying, no, we don't want you to stay. We actually want you to leave. Because the purpose of our church is not to try to get you in the doors and keep you for the rest of our life. The purpose of our church is to get you in the doors, equip you, and then kick your tail out the door so that you can live on your life on mission for him who's the one that's supreme. That's, that's the purpose of our church. Whether you're a college student that's brand new, whether you're a family that's raising high school kids, whether you're empty nesters, we want you to come, we want you to hear the gospel, we want you to be changed, we want you to be impacted, ministered to, loved, and then at some point, we want you to raise your hand and say, hey, now I gotta go tell others about this message. Because we exist for the supremacy of the name and the purpose of Jesus Christ. So guys, and here's the thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm done, but... Are we a perfect church? No, we're, we're actually really far from it. And this week has just shown me that. Maybe more than ever. As leaders, we're, we're, we're flawed, we're, we're sinners. It's like everybody else. We often fail. We fall short of everything we should be. We lack wisdom at times. And because I'm, I'm one of those leaders, I get to have a front row seat to all that those problems are. I, I get a firsthand account of all the ways that we struggle as a church and we struggle in our leadership. And, and, and I know as well as anybody else on the planet, the areas that this church needs to get better at and grow at and mature in. 
But if you're trying to decide whether to make the Austin Stone Community Church your church home, I want you to know something. We're gonna let you down and we're gonna fail you. But I promise you this, we love Jesus. We really do. And the only reason we do what we do is so that you would know his love for you and that you would love him in return. That's what we're all about. I'm gonna show you just a two minute video here and then uh, I'm gonna come back up and pray and we'll sing, we'll be out, we'll be out of here. Let's stand together. And let's pray. Father, it's been one of the easiest decisions I've ever made in my life. To not center and focus this church on me or any other man, any other name, but to do it on you. To focus it on you, Lord, because you alone are worthy of it. I pray that whether person in this room is brand new or they've been coming a while, I pray and I ask, Lord, that they would look back on their time with us and they would see it as a time where they grew in their love and affection and knowledge and commitment, God, to you, maybe, maybe in any other time in their life. Father, if there's any in this room that don't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that through your spirit you would reveal to them the beauty of your name and the power of your name and that you change them. God, we love you. I pray that as you look to us, that you would find us faithful, existing for one thing, and that's you alone. So Lord, we love you, we honor you, and we praise you, and and right now we're gonna sing to you and worship you because you're worthy of it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.